Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. It takes a special kind of person to love me. Maybe it's just because I grew up country. This ain't my first rodeo, I know I'm stubborn. You can drive my truck, you can drive me crazy, but you can't drive my boat. Lamont Coleman's latest single, My Boat. Welcome to the night. Take two. Oh, I was going to say, welcome to the 9420 podcast. <laughs> there you go. How are you guys doing today? I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm miserable, but that's okay. <laughs> well, that's it's a lousy, rainy, muggy day up in New York, and I'm just miserable. And I started off the day fighting with everybody, so you know, and it just went downhill from there. And it's one big misery. Well, anyway, it, it, well, I think I think that song, my boat. You know, I think you know, Lamont used to be. Uh, he was with his um, duo. I remember about a few years back called Broken Hallelujah, and they, you know, he did a few things with um, with Band Twango. You know, they never did campaign. I don't think, but uh, but he was down in Nashville. Now he's up here in New York. He's uh, he's he's like he's a really interesting kind of interesting dude. He's and honestly, believe it or not, he's very down to earth. When I was able to meet him and Courtney when they were still broken, Hallelujah, they were so much fun to hang out with. When we were able to have some opportunities for them, so um, I don't know. You know I enjoyed I, that I single. Met, I, I met him. I met him. Uh, it's funny. I met him. You know, years back. You know. You know, 
with Broken Hallelujah. Hadn't seen him in a while, but he's really striking dude. Long dreads, wears like cowboy hats and leather vests, and he's tall. It's like a few years later, I'm on the subway here in New York, and I'm sitting in the car with my baseball cap looking like some regular schmo, and I see this guy walk on, striking. I'm going, is that Lamont? And, and he, cowboy boots, you know, big, big, wide brim hat, dreads down to his, you know, his waist, you know, like all these kind of sunglasses and sparkle sunglasses. So I go up to him and go, oh, he looked real intimidating too when you first look at him too, because he's so big and striking. He's like seven foot tall with the boots on. Yeah, I go up to him and go, Lamont? He goes, yeah, man. I go, it's Carl from uh, Bantwango. He goes, really? And then he just lights up and starts going, ah, how you doing, man? What are you doing? And all of a sudden he starts going into this little animated thing. He's really who he is, man. Is he pursuing, uh, is he pursuing the music thing uh, in New York City? I think he's all over the place. I, I know that we did a thing with uh, Leah Turner. We did a, you know, she's like a an act. We did a, a campaign with about a year ago, and uh, he produced one of her singles. So he produces all over the place. He Producer does like, yeah, cool. yeah, he produces, he writes. He's like just one of those Renaissance dudes. Everlastingly you know? at it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I even remember back couple of years ago when I was able to meet them, he was still, even with Broken Hallelujah, he still had so many side projects of producing things that like, he was always busy, like always doing something. So. If you listen, I, I, rec <laughs> I recommend you people go follow him on Instagram and stuff because he always has all these positive things to say. And he's like, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a real trip. I like him a lot. Very cool. So what do you want to talk about today? About me being miserable or you want to just pick no, on Greg? No, no, we do not want to. <laughs> I'd rather, I'd oh, rather you, know you what? pick I'm on Greg. I'm a little annoyed too today because we didn't do it last time. So I got to get it out before we, because we have to do it every show. Pokey Lafarge. We yeah, must say, there you go. we got to bring go. up Pokey Lafarge in every episode. Pokey, That's if you're out there. <laughs> Pokey, answer, answer my Instagram messages. I have been wanting to get you on the podcast. So today, this this episode, we're going to talk about, um, I guess we'll talk about our, our question of the week, right? Well, I think our question of the week this week is something that is just interesting because there's so many different stories that can be told what, from what, it. What are we talking about? We're talking about the question of the week. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the worst um, at this. Never fails no. to... Never fails. It, it, it's gold. It's comedy gold. But the question was, what is your first memory of music? Um, which I I thought it's always interesting because every, everyone's answer is going to be different to this. It's not going to be the same because it's so personal. But um, we we have four really good answers that I'm excited to get to. But before we get to that. I would love to know what both Carl and Greg's first memory of music you is. You know, I thought about it. I, I don't even know. I have no idea. Really? <laughs> you know, I could make something up. I got yeah, my my father humming Beethoven to my mother's stomach when I was in the womb. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I actually have been thinking, I mean, we come up with these questions, what, uh, a week before? And mm -hmm. I, I actually have just been put in such a great mood over this silly question because I basically, you know, I don't remember either. I don't know what my first memory of hearing a particular song or, or um, you know, I, I don't know what my first memory might be. But what it did was it sent me down the rabbit hole of you guys know how much I love nostalgia. And so 
Right. It sent me down this kind of mid-century rabbit hole where I got, I actually thought of something that I hadn't thought of in years. And I kind of arrived at the idea that it was probably the pivotal, most um, inspiring thing for me growing up as far as music is concerned. And it's kind of a weird story, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain it as quickly as possible. So most people that listen to this podcast, they probably have no concept of what it was like to to consume music or be a music lover in the 60s, in the mid-60s. Why, so, you think we have a young audience? I, I think, <laughs> well, everybody's younger than me, right? So, well, How old are you? I, you were like what, 84 am, last, last no, week, No, right? I'm 60 <laughs> years old. So... People in, in the mid-60s, they had a love affair with music that was kind of all over the map. And one of the things that happened in every town, in every city in America was that, you know, there was this big burgeoning industry of white tablecloth, kind of fancy restaurants that served middle-class America. You know, you would dress up a little bit more than normal and you'd go out on a Friday or Saturday night and you'd go to one of these restaurants. These restaurants were very kind of exotic and swanky. And we, we had one in little town of New Albany, Indiana, across from across the river from where I grew up. And it was in a motel. It was the motel was called the, the Robert E. Lee Inn. And so one thing that most of these restaurants, these swankier restaurants had in common was, and this is going to sound like alien stuff to most people that I think that listen to the podcast. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, I, I fell organists. I fell, I fell asleep for a second. What were you talking organists. About? <laughs> Do you remember going to a restaurant, a fancier restaurant in the mid-60s? And no, they, they had. What are you talking about, they man? Had, they had <laughs> entertainers. They had entertainers ensconced in these restaurants, and they played these massive Hammond and Warlitzer organs, and they were just at the forefront of kind of this MIDI polyphonic thing. I so, went to no restaurant in my youth that had an organ <laughs> ever. Well, so, did you? Maybe it's a regional thing because I did not. I did go to restaurants that did have entertainment, but like not organists and well, big to do. We had, so you were in a skating rink? <laughs> we had Robert E. Lee in. And we had a local celebrity that played the organ there four nights a week. His name was Earl Gregory, and he was a showman extraordinaire. And I can remember, oh I can remember standing in these, you know, in this in this booth, you know, this. Uh, this is your first memory of music, Earl Gregory organ at the restaurant. Earl Gregory organ at the restaurant, and his repertoire. I can tell you, it was just extraordinary. Songs like Alley Cat and. Bill Bailey and um, oh, oh, horrible songs. Wolverton Mountain, Claude. I don't King, even know what that the great, is. Cla the great Claude King song, Wolverton Mountain. I he don't did. Know what, that is. what was interesting about these organists was that Hammond was making an organ that had bass pedals, and they also were kind of like they were putting drum sounds and beats 
this is all pre-digital, but they were putting drum sounds and yeah, beats all those in these che- those cheesy little yeah. They ended up selling these organs into a lot of American homes. I mean, organ was a thing. So that's my memory. That's my memory. You know, the idea that I would. You know, my family and uh, others would be, you okay, know. Okay, well, let's. So we'll. Know, so cavorting, we'll, and I would a, be keyed on Earl Gregory. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's Greg's memory. We'll probably. Anyway, let's, Cut let, it let, out. Let's, let's, let's hear somebody else's. Me- let's, ask, let's do one of the um, the questions. We asked a Two bunch more of things. people. Wait, wait a minute. Two more uh, things. So, if you'd like to hear. This organ sound that permeated yeah, my Greg childhood. selling them in the back of his car. He has yeah. Greg, there, Earl Gregory's a, cassettes. There is a wonderful, That's what he found when he was a, cleaning out his there garage. There is a wonderful compilation out there. I think it's part of the luxurious series, but it's called Organs in oh, Orbit. Shoot Organs me. in Orbit. So I would go to... Spotify or to and I would I would listen to organs oh, in orbit and you can you can understand uh, uh, my musical upbringing better anyway so one of the questions we asked a few people is what's my first music memory the first one I'll play is from uh, Brianna Calhoun she, as a matter of fact she happens to be doing a uh, last week of her campaign up on Bantwango. I bet she doesn't know who Earl Gregory is. I don't think anyone knows no, she, Earl Gregory. I don't, think anyone, I don't even yeah. think Earl Gregory's parents know who he is. Anyway, so here's, let's see what Brianna has to say. So my first memories of music was definitely of my mom singing to me when I was a really little girl. She would make up songs and basically sing me to sleep on her guitar. And uh, she's a singer-songwriter as well, so I get it naturally. But my own music memory, first music memory, was probably of me singing in church. We were having a tent revival in the middle of the summer in rural Texas, and I remember getting up on that stage, and I sang His Eyes on the Sparrow for everybody. I think I was about six years old, and even though I was really nervous, I loved it at the same time, and I've been doing it ever since. See, that's like a normal music memory. And no organ, Greg, so I don't know. No organ. <laughs> Earl also, his claim to fame, <laughs> other than... other than. So we're going to call this the Earl Gregory episode? Other than, other than playing at the Robert E. Lee Inn, uh, he also oh, did. He, he was much in demand across the he region. He was the town lawyer. and He was in demand as the organist for the horse shows. So he played oh, that's all across actually. the country uh, as the horses promenade and what horses? Horse yeah, shows. You, well, Greg, you're, you're from shows. Kentucky, right? Right. So, what Kentucky Derby kind of shows? Uh, no, these are I thought, I thought, horse. I thought that was more trumpets, though. They used to play trumpets for that stuff. Uh, well, they still do well, play trumpets. You know, if you ever right. heard Earl play Hammond, I mean, he could pull the yeah, stop yeah, big, for the whole. They have Leslie's. A big Leslie. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So you're saying these restaurants had big Hammond organs and Leslie speak at a Leslie at these restaurants? Hundreds across the country. I'm going to do more research and we're going to replace Pokey Lafarge with Earl Gregory for the next five I think so. We're building a a whole group here. All right. Let's want to go to another another person. So we have this band. uh, Was it Hudson Valley? Hudson Valley, yeah. They're originally out of New York, so obviously the name kind of rings are, true are they, um It's Richie Owens and Sarah Owens. Are they related? Are they sister, brother, married? What? They're okay. married, I believe. So let's hear from Sarah first, okay? 
Hey, this is Sarah from the band Hudson Valley, and my earliest music memory is probably watching the 1994 CMA Awards, and I remember it so vividly because it was the first time I had actually ever seen Martina McBride and Faith Hill sing on TV, and I was just thinking, I want to do that when I grow up. 1994. So she's she's young, this girl, right? Let's, let's- yeah, I mean... Most of the people that we're asking to do this are young. That's the great. That's the greatest thing about music is that you know when we stop and think about it, you know we've kind of, I I have been listening to music for fifty years, so uh, you know you get every decade, and I can certainly understand how somebody's pivotal memory is from the nineties or from the eighties or from. You know, the- I just thought I just thought of a memory, and it's funny, and I, I don't know if it's my first memory, but I must have been under under ten. Okay. And we used to have this little like suitcase record player, like Victroller, you know, like, you know, sure. a little record and the speaker came out of the box and a little, little record. And I remember I took one of my mom's singles and it was, um, I remember this too. It was, it was Elvis Presley, It's Now or Never. And I remember playing that. It's it's now or never. I just played my room. Yeah. And that was one of my, um, yeah, I remember that now. It's bizarre. I, I think See? I remember records, uh, but it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't as magical as the live performance of Earl. Oh, See, I never see that. I was sheltered. I lived in Long Island, you know, and grew up. My parents weren't like very musical. They had, like four records, like you know, you know the. Well, let me ask you a question. So we're talking. My, my memory is from the mid-century, mid-sixties, and you know, it's kind. Of, I I believe. Me, me too. I believe it was kind of a cultural thing, this, these organists, but that's beside the point. So let me ask you this. So in where you grew up in that region, did men build little bars in the basement? And- yeah, we had, we had a bar. We, oh, we yeah. had a bar. We had our own bar. Okay, so my parents even had their own bar in in the first house that we owned, and every single family member had their own bar. And was there a stereo or record player in in, uh, proximity to the bar? I said, I'll give you one even better. There was a jukebox in my grandmother's basement that that, we would all go down to. And every single time the family was over, all the kids would go down there and we would play songs off of it. And our parents loved it because they didn't have to entertain us. They would go to the Woolworths or whatever and they would stock it. it She called it the stereo. (laughs) I remember that for years. The stereo. Turn down the stereo down there. Stereo. I like (laughs) that. The stereo. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess my one of my early memories of, of of an actual recording or a record is I remember that my uncle used to come down to do it between Pokey Lafarge and Earl Gregory. Earl Gregory, <laughs> our my father used to hold court in the downstairs bar. You know, they had the bar lights and all that stuff, and my uncle would come over, and I remember distinctly my uncle having a few too many fall city beers and saying hey i bought this new record and he put it on and i believe it was the b-side i I have a a a friend named bob Irwin that's an absolute expert at all of this and maybe someday he can confirm but it's it's a song called little red riding hood uh and the same the pharaohs exactly uh but i I know the organ i have a guy who my next door neighbor's Played the Farfisa on said it. he yeah. was the organ player for that band. That's incredible. What, jo- uh, Joey Rotoli Jr. Email him and find out if it was the B-side. Anyway, let's hear what Sarah's husband, Richie, had to say, also from Hudson Valley. Hey, this is Richie Owens from the band Hudson Valley. 
my uh, first memory with music would definitely be uh, I'd grown up listening to my father sing and my mother try to harmonize with him. Um, you know, he released a song in 1958 when he was 15 years old, a doo-wop song. Um, but like I said, they would, you know, they would always have people over the house and bust out the karaoke machine. It definitely got me influenced, got me started playing the drums. And, uh, and it's cool, too, because uh, my father and I both have songs on Spotify today, which is pretty awesome. No, that's awesome. Do you want to know what his father's band's name is? It's Dickie Bell and the Bing Bongs, and the single is Ding-a-Ling Ding-Dong. Is it a hit? I don't know, but it's a, it's a doo-wop song, and it's got over 3,000 streams on Spotify. Okay. So Good for him. Yeah. What's your – do you, do you have a, a memory, uh, Nicole? I do. What, what's your um, name? <laughs> Carl. Carl <laughs> the, is not on his girl. game today. The girl. The girl. <laughs> That's why he's the girl. She's the girl. I'm the other guy. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting because I kind of took the perspective of Greg of like over the last couple of days trying to like figure out what that actual memory could be. But like the way that I took it is it's the definitive memory of like the first time I remember either hearing music or having music surrounded that has kept with me throughout the years. And I was five and we were in our old house on Oakfield and Belmore. And we had a detached garage from the house. And my dad would always do like his yard work or whatnot on Saturdays and Sundays. And it was the day that it started as a tradition for us. But he opened up the garage and me and my twin sister and my younger sister all went in and he put on the stereo. I do. I have a twin sister. She lives in um, Bel Air, Maryland. Do you Um, sound alike? We sound alike. We are complete opposites. Um, she is very like analytical and straightforward. Identical? I'm more Identical? like creative brain. No, I think we're fraternal. Okay. My mom never got the test done. Um, we looked a lot alike when we were younger. We, we look alike now, but not so much where you're like, oh, you're definitely twins. However, our daughters, Kenzie was born June of 2018. Her daughter was born June of 2019. They were born a year and four days apart, and her due date was actually my daughter's birthday. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's no chance. Very weird. You sound alike, but there's really no chance that you could like send her in to cover for you on a podcast. And oh would, God, no. Okay, because no. some kind of and, bewitched we, type thing. Yeah, we don't want that. No, and we could never do that in school because she was always so much smarter. So, like, <laughs> if I were to go into the class, the teacher would automatically know because I just didn't like to do homework. Homework. I was that child. Did, you, did so. you dress the same? We did. My mom actually dressed all three of her daughters the same. It got to a point where I think we were 10 and we were like, mom, you That's have to it. stop. Yep. There's going <laughs> to yeah. be an insurrection here. Yeah. Yeah. But now we dress our daughters the same. We go out and we buy them the same clothes and they don't even live near the each sin- other. The so. sins of the mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so my first memory is my dad opening up the garage to do yard work. He turned on the stereo and John Mellencamp's Wild Night came on. And we all just started dancing and like playing air guitar with the brooms and whatnot that were in there. And it just so happened to be like, it started a tradition for us where every Sunday we would all go out and we would do our own little like air guitar band with whatever was on the radio. And that's kind of how we all kind of spent time together and enjoyed it. You just triggered another bizarre memory I have. I forgot about this. I didn't forget, but I forgot to 
when I, my grandmother, I used to live in Long Island, and my grandmother lived in Queens in South Ozone Park. So every every like um, Saturday or Sunday, we would pick up, go pick up my grandmother in Queens and bring her out to spend the weekend in the island because we, you know, we lived in Long Island. So this one day, we pick up my grandmother one Sunday, pick her up on the way home to my house. We had this car accident. These guys just went through a stop sign and we hit them like kind of right into their side. But my grandmother went through the window. That was before seatbelts were mandatory. I was on the floor, glass all over the place. I thought she was going to die because all the blood because she got cut. So I'm in the emergency room at South Nassau Hospital in Oceanside, you know, worrying about my grandmother and the TV's on. And this is a true story. And it was the night that the Beatles played the Ed Sullivan show. So I saw the Beatles, Ed Sullivan show in the emergency room, worrying about my grandmother. That was my first of seeing the Beatles, you know, that, that everyone talks about the Beatles and Ed Sullivan. That's how I saw them. Wow. And uh, I'm one of those guys, you know, you hear, it almost sounds like a cliche. Like Billy Joel, these guys say when they heard the Beatles, that's when it, it all opened up for them and stuff. I, I agree too. I go, it, it was something about that. There was some weird kind of thing going on with those guys. Maybe because Kennedy just got shot and it was a weird hole. You know, I was only like seven, but still, you know, it was, it was very interesting, you know, so. Seminal, yeah. I talked about Ringo story, right? No. I was at a Grammy party years ago. And, I have a Ringo story too. I was at a Grammy party a few years ago. That's when I had it in New York. I was at um, some club, you know, downtown, I forget where, after the Grammys when they had it in Radio City one year. So I was sitting there and like, a Beatle walks in, you know, this is like maybe in, in the 90s, but still it's one of the Beatles, even though it's only Ringo. So he comes in, he sits down and kind of holds court, right? So me, I'm, you know, I was still drinking back then. And all of a sudden this line, it's almost like a, like you're going to see the Pope, you know, a line just, you know, emerges where everyone wants to go say hello to Ringo. So he sits down at his table and there's a line. So I get online. I'm with this guy from uh, EMI at the time. So he was behind me. So when I get to Ringo, I get idiot. I go, hey, Ringo, big fan. I was wondering, you know, do you want to be in my band? Since, you, since, you know, you're a good drummer, I can use a drummer for my band. And looks at me, I goes, no. <laughs> like, like basically like F you, like schmuck. So I walk away and then my friend talks and then he comes up and goes, you know, he was a lot more fun when he was drinking. <laughs> so that's my Ringo story. Anyway, I was meeting with some guys in New York. I don't remember when this was, probably in the late 90s. Um, and I don't even remember what hotel it was, but we were sitting in this hotel and it was it was kind of a private hotel and it was very posh. And we we're sitting there and there were like three of us and we were pretty intense in our discussion of some business stuff. At that time, you were discussing the, uh, the publishing deal with um, uh, Earl Gregory? No, well, <laughs> stop bringing him up because I have a lot more to say about Earl Gregory, and I don't want oh, I don't want man. this episode to be like taken over by Earl Gregory. <laughs> it already has. So, yeah. so we're so we're kind of engaged in this. This Ringo's like, going to contact Earl Gregory. <laughs> we're, we're we're kind of engaged in this intense conversation, and uh, in the path between our table. And the bar, um, Ringo just walks through the room and he had uh, like a track suit on and he was kind of like, seemed like he was in a decent enough mood, but he just walked through the room and everybody stopped their conversations. And it was just very bizarre because, uh, and, and he looked over at us and he said, um, gentlemen, and then that's all he said. And he just kept walking and, 
we could never reach the intensity of our business conversation after that because everybody was kind of in awe that it's like Ringo Starr just walked through the bar, you know, it's so bizarre. Well, because he, he, you know, again, not to make this a fan cat, whatever, but fan cast. Yeah. But yeah, but 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 you know, Ringo is you know to me what makes the Beatles because the Beatles are more than just musical guys. They're like part of our youth, our culture, our our, our you know, they're like these iconic things that you know they almost transcend just people. Like to be Paul McCartney must be bizarre because wherever he goes, it's a big deal. For anyone he sees, you know, because like, oh my God, like he might just walk past, um, you know, down the street, like he walks to the store, but then that's Paul McCartney. Oh my God. And he always take a picture. Like, it must be tiring to be him. Anywhere you go, it's like a big. You know, I, I, I was a big fan of like prog rock and things in the 70s. So, you know, all the guys, all the drummers. Isn't that when, that, uh, yeah, isn't that when like Earl Gregory went progressive back in? <laughs> was, wasn't he in Emerson Lake and Gregory? <laughs> okay. So, so. <laughs> One second. So uh, not to belabor the point, but do we have the ability to uh, put oh, post images at 9420.com? Sure. We can do anything you yeah. want. Because I did actually go out and I did find one digital image of Earl Gregory at the Hammond. And I'd like to post it at 9420.com so that people can people can understand the X factor this man had. I can even put it in the swipe content when we post too. So there can be the 9420 things and then you swipe to see Earl Gregory. He actually made a number of records and he would sell them at at the Robert E. Lee. And um, I actually have one record, but it's really not playable at this point. Is he still alive, you think? No, I think he's he's gone on to his reward. But um, I like to try to find the album because the cover art is amazing. It's full color. The the uh, <laughs> picture that I have to post. It's full color. What are we like in the in, in the sixties? Hey man, you yeah. should get this record. You know why? The yeah. cover's in color. Oh man, I mean, you know they they made these records. A lot of these guys made these records. You know, in local studios, and uh, you know they had their own little cottage. It's in got the a street, hole in the middle you know? and everything. <laughs> and when you stop and think about it, I mean, you know, the business hasn't changed that much. I mean, you can you can walk into an Applebee's in a lot of places and buy the CD of the guy that's, you know, banging on the uh, ovation guitar. Yeah, so. I never liked people playing ovations. We got one last question answered. Let's get, let's get to it. Someone we know by the name of Maud. So let's play Maud's answer and see what she's got to say. How's that sound? Sounds good. My first music memory is being in the kitchen of my parents' first little Cape Cod house. Uh, Mom kept the radio on top of the refrigerator, you know, the kind of refrigerator with the flying V-looking door handle. And I remember hearing red roses for a blue lady, which was very confusing at the time because I was at that literal age where I absolutely thought someone knew a lady who was blue and wanted to get her some red roses. Okay. I don't even know who, who did that song. You know what that song she's talking about? Yeah, um, I I think about a thousand people cut that song. Um, I think um, I heard a blue velvet. Wayne Wayne Newton Wayne Newton had had a big hit with it. Yeah, we name it. Dean Martin also yeah. had it. Are you saying we have a young crowd? And look at the people we're naming: Dean Martin, Wayne Newton, <laughs> Earl Gregory. How about Guy Lombardo? <laughs> hey. To give an update on Earl Gregory, unfortunately, he did pass away on November 10th, 2018. Really? 2018? Yeah. How old was he? Man. I'll click on the obituary. Hold on. 
78. Wow. I'm telling you, he was a super nice guy. Uh, and, and really, my first touch at five or six years old, my my first experience with somebody with X Factor that was an entertainer, that was a showman, that he would come around to every table on his break and make sure Manhattans were flowing and <laughs> the Shirley Temples were being consumed. I think you grew up in like in some bizarre like bubble, I, I, you know, like alternate you, you, universe. Yeah, it really like you know. I, I grew up around the same time, but I had none of those experiences. Maybe because I was grew up around New York City. My upbringing probably wasn't anything like yours, but I think that for people that are listening to this, they probably wouldn't have experienced any of this weirdness. But they probably all loved Mad Men, right? So. That's the way I described. To, I think I I grew up more in Mad Men. My father was. I think we I think we grew up in Mad Men, and so that's what the experience was. Yeah, my, like, my 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 father had cocktails. You know, I, I've ever he left when to, I was younger, but when I was really yeah. younger, yeah, he had cocktails every night. They had martini, a, a little. They had a bar and then a roll around bar with little there martini glasses, and go. they so. they you know they put me in my room. Remember, they they locked me in my room. Because me and because I was too young and they used to play Red Fox comedy records that were like kind of yeah, blue. So, so they'd, yeah. they'd have guests over. So I'd have him and like their kids who I hated shoved in the bedroom so they could listen to like these blue, dirty joke records, comedy records. Yeah, which is which is so odd. But I, I think that, you know, a kid growing up in that time when the kind of social mores were being people were playing around literally and figuratively. And, right. um, you know, I mean, I think people were, what, 10, 15 years out of uh, a major conflict, right? You were, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think people were starting to um, enjoy their expendable income and their um, people were trying to like stretch the limits of this middle-class existence. And I think music was a huge part of that. And I think that, um, you know, as kids growing up in that era, I think we got we got to see a lot, hear a lot. And um, one one last thing, my my father, who I have very very few memories of, because he left when I was like ten. I remember my, more from my mother telling me he was a dance instructor before he worked. You know, got his real job. You know, in the airlines, or whatever. That's how my mother kind of met him. They used to go dancing. My father. That's why that was his big thing. He was a good dancer. He used to know the merengue and all that cha cha and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the records that we did have were all these Latin like bossa nova beat things. That that you know it's it's funny. Which and I'm not that rhythmic at all, so I got none of it. I can't dance for anything. You know, so girl from Ipanema, right? Earl did that one really well. We had a good <laughs> on that note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the Earl Gregory show now. All right. Um, well, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Right. Yes. Quite, quite right. the showman. Yes. Well, on that note, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the 9420 podcast. For all of the show notes and links to anything that we talked about, you can go to 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y.com. Until next week, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. See ya. Bye.